Hello and welcome to a very unusual Wondercare podcast. This podcast is brought to you to try and update you on my campaign to make healthcare more accessible to the patients of Ireland through the expansion of pharmacy services. I have been campaigning for this strongly since December. My colleagues over in the IPU, the Irish Pharmacy Union, have been campaigning for this for, I'm going to say, two decades, but certainly since 2014, they've been campaigning for the very same specific things that I've been asking for. The only reason I have not joined the IPU in their journey and quest to try and make change happen is that I don't think that emotionally I could handle failed bureaucratic nonsense meetings where no progress is made despite many promises. So yes, I've gone a little bit rogue campaigning on my own. I think that's important to say because my opinions are my own. They're not the opinions of the Irish Pharmacy Union, but we are aligned in what we want for the patients of Ireland. And that is the same thing. It is the expansion of pharmacy services and the provision of decent, timely and accessible healthcare. So the reason I wanted to update you today is because there was a very important meeting between the Oireachtas Committee for Health and the Irish Pharmacy Union on the 8th of March 2023. I kind of wanted to talk you through the meeting. I have selected some sound bites so that you can kind of get the gist of how it went and I can try and explain along the way what my thoughts on this are. I'd like to thank everyone who was in the room. From the Irish Pharmacy Union, we had Dermot Toomey, who is the president of the Irish Pharmacy Union. We had Susan O'Dwyer, who is the head of governance and pharmacy services within the Irish Pharmacy Union. We had Cathy Marr, a community pharmacist from Julique and a very passionate advocate for healthcare and pharmacy. And we had Sharon Foley, who is the Secretary General of the Irish Pharmacy Union. And I would just like to precede my comments by saying that the Irish Pharmacy Union representation today were fantastic. I was really, really happy to hear them put through such a strong argument. I'm just sad that they're still having to argue. 20 years later. And then from the Oireachtas Committee for Health, members that were present included Anker Hirlock, Sean Crow from Sinn Féin, Bernard Durkin from Fine Gael, Colin Burke from Fine Gael, David Cullnan from Sinn Féin, Nasa Horgan from the Green Party and Gino Kenny from People Before Profit. We also had Roisin Shorthall from the Social Democrats. And I would also like to thank all of those committee members Because as you will hear, they were extremely supportive and they were just trying to understand what the issue is, what the proposals are, what the barriers are and what they can do to help drive this campaign forward. I have never before described myself as a political person. In fact, I probably might have been a little bit averse to the whole world of politics. But yeah, brace yourself for the next little while. I am in the throes of this conversation and I am deeply emotionally invested to the outcome of my campaign. I don't have major skin in the game. I'm a community pharmacist who owns one community pharmacy. There are 1,700 community pharmacies in Ireland. My pharmacy has primarily private patients. So what I'm campaigning for mainly benefits public patients. I just want to make that clear in case I'm accused of having ulterior motives. I want to make it clear that my motives here are patient care. I am worried 
genuinely worried for the future of our primary care system. And I truly believe that community pharmacy can play a vital role. We need to be delivering the right medicine to the right people in the right place at the right time. And it needs to be for everyone whether you have a medical card or not. We cannot discriminate between medical card holders and private patients by allowing access to private patients to buy products over the counter, but not allowing medical card patients to get them over the counter unless they go to a GP, which, as we saw during crisis moments, of which we are going to have a continuing rolling session of over the next decade, they're not going to be able to access their GPs. So they can't have treatment. That's not fair and that's not right. And that is why we are here. So the first to speak was IPU president Dermot Toomey and I just want to say I do play quite a little bit of what he said because it sets the scene and provides context so that you know what the Irish Pharmacy Union are asking from our government. I promise the rest of the sound clips from yesterday's session are kept an awful lot shorter. Here we go. This is what Dermot Toomey, president of the IPU, started with. So we're proposing a new scheme which holds significant potential to free up capacity in primary care, which we all know is under huge pressure. A minor ailment or a triad service would be a community pharmacy-based service. It would be similar to what's been used in Scotland as the pharmacy-first model. Under this scheme, public patients with minor self-limiting conditions would no longer have to make or wait for GP appointments. Instead, they would consult with their local community pharmacy, they would receive an assessment of their symptoms, followed by either a combination of advice or medication supply and or referral to other services. Existing legislation for the supply and administration of certain prescription-only medicinal products can be amended to provide a route for widening access to the range of treatments available. So this would be available to both private and public patients. The whole uh, of the country would benefit from a wider range of conditions being eligible for assessment and direct treatment in their local pharmacy. The introduction of the scheme would demonstrate government commitment to enhancing public health access, ensuring timely and equitable access to medicines, delivering quality patient care, and the key point is improving health outcomes. Such a scheme would support national healthcare principles of delivering care that is equitable, accessible, proximal to the patient, and sustainable. I suppose a key point here is based on information that we have done through studies is that this potentially could free up to one million GP appointments and they could be treated in community pharmacies or referred as appropriate. This would be a clear example of an opportunity to radically reimagine the delivery of timely care within the community and to deliver cost-effective, safe and desired health outcomes. So the Irish Pharmacy Union proposes their work now begins on this and in addressing the immediate issues within the health system. I'd like, now like to speak on access to contraception. I think it's timely in that today is International Women's Day. So in terms of contraception, the Women's Health Action Plan has demonstrated the, the commitment of this current Minister for Health to prioritise the health of women in Ireland, and we wholeheartedly support this. We were delighted with the introduction of free contraception and its further planned expansion. And we believe that reducing barriers to contraception can only enhance patient care. It's been reported on multiple occasions that women, both in Ireland and abroad, would prefer to obtain their contraceptive from their pharmacist. There's no clinical reason for oral contraceptives to be supplied on foot of a prescription. And with proper protocols, this is a very safe and very effective healthcare intervention. Experience in other countries demonstrates that reducing cost and increasing access is highly effective who might not otherwise engage with health services. 
such as new communities, younger cohorts and ethnic minorities. <coughs> Similar to the minor ailment scheme, we recommend that the Minister now moves to expand the range of medicines noted in Schedule 8 of the Medicinal Products Prescription and Control and Supply Regulations 2003 as amended to include the full range of oral hormonal contraceptives and injectable long-acting contraceptives. Training and governance requirements can then be put in place. Medicine shortages. Medicines are the most common healthcare intervention within the health system, and medicine shortages and the management of the patient's needs as a consequence are a core function and role of community pharmacy. The nature of our medicine supply chain and its globalisation means that this is becoming more complex than ever before, and pharmacists often have to source medicines from other countries in order to meet the needs of the local population. Given that pharmacists are experts with a unique skill set and unrivaled pharmacological knowledge, we advocate for the more effective utilisation of this skill set to manage medicine shortages at the point of patient access. This would facilitate therapeutic substitution of medicines without the need to revert to the GP for a prescription in cases where there is a critical shortage of medicines. Again, a relatively simple measure which will increase the speed of supply and reduce the stress both on the patient and also on the pharmacy and the pharmacy team. Strategy and a Chief Pharmaceutical Officer. As a country, we need to take a more proactive approach to the management of medicine shortages and indeed to pharmaceutical care in general. One of the most fundamental and seismic changes would could be prioritised to unlock the uh, potential of community pharmacy is to develop an agreed national strategy for pharmaceutical care. This would help to deliver better health outcomes for patients. This should be owned by the Minister for Health and driven by the appointment of a Chief Pharmaceutical Officer within the department. As with other professions such as medicine and nursing, this person should be appointed at a senior level so that the strategy has both power and currency. It is our view that the proposals outlined above would make a significant immediate impact in terms of better utilising the limited healthcare resources at our disposal. We are committed to driving them forward. However, we cannot do this without support. To fully deliver on better health outcomes, the sector must be adequately reimbursed and invested. June 2023 of this year is the deadline for the Minister's commitment to review the fees paid to pharmacists. These fees have not changed since 2009 and have not kept in line with crippling inflation. Our average dispensing fee now is lower than it was in 2008, nearly 15 years ago. If community pharmacies to do more to deliver essential health services, we need to be able to invest in our teams to provide these services. Our GP colleagues have had the benefit of substantive talks resulting in the 2019 GP agreement, which saw a substantial reinvestment in GP services, and we are seeking equitable treatment. Community pharmacy now needs to see a similar reinvestment to support future service delivery. This committee has previously debated the crippling slow progress regarding ICT and healthcare. A modern healthcare system needs functioning e-prescribing and ICT investment and a move away from legacy-based paper solutions. Without improvements in ICT to help streamline associated processes, there is now an almost unworkable administrative and cognitive burden being associated with dispensing under the community drug schemes. We fully support the HSE's health vision to deliver connected and complete digital patient records across all pathways and care settings. Progress in e-health is very much necessary to unleash significant benefits for patients and healthcare professionals. We firmly believe there are clear building blocks to establish e-health and in particular a national e-prescribing service. 
Indeed, we've invested in some of these enablers, and we want to help the HSE move off the starting line, but we need partnership from the HSE with a clear commitment to e-health, and this means partnership, clarity on targets, timelines and budget. So in conclusion, colleagues, we believe that community pharmacy can and will play a vital role in the development of future healthcare reform. In line with Slauncher supporting people to stay healthy in their homes and communities for as long as possible. We want to invest in community pharmacy and we need investment in community pharmacy to deliver services with a proven dividend in terms of value for money, improved patient outcomes and greater access to primary care for all of the population. It's now time for the Government to engage with us on a positive agenda for change, to deliver convenient, accessible and cost-effective healthcare through a currently under-resourced and underutilised pharmacy profession. Chairman, members of the committee, I'd like to thank you sincerely for your attention. My colleagues and I would be pleased to answer any questions that you may have. Okay, so you can hear there that the views that I have been sharing in the media are very in line with what Dermot has outlined. We then heard from the first member of the Oireachtas Health Committee, and that was Colin Burke. He asked some very useful questions in relation to the value of a chief pharmacist role. And he also questioned the department's engagement with the Irish Pharmacy Union on the development of this role. Sharon Foley from the Irish Pharmacy Union spoke about the importance of a chief pharmacist role to support the strategic planning of items like women's health planning in Ireland, etc. And it was made very clear that we've been slow to adapt World Health Organization recommendations as a result of having no chief pharmacist to give voice to our profession. You can hear Cathy and Susan speak about examples of women's issues which need the steer of a chief pharmacist at a senior level within the Department of Health. We know that oral contraception is a very safe medicine that has been available for 50 years. The WHO have said there is no clinical reason for it to be supplied on prescription only. So the clinical group within the HSE are looking at that. We're hoping for a positive outcome and we're hoping to see this move very quickly. And just, just on another issue that's come up to me and it's been raised with me, and that's in relation to, uh, again, it's in relation to women's health and that's in relation to the drug caravan. Uh, my understanding is that that is a prescription, you can't dispense it on a GP prescription, it has to be a consultant's prescription. Can we get some clarification on that issue? Yes, Susan O'Dwyer, <clears throat> I might just answer on that. So with that particular medication, it needs to be prescribed in the initial instance by a consultant obstetrician. Um, so a woman has to be, go to um, hospital, see that consultant and then get that approved by a consultant. Subsequently, prescriptions from GPs will be authorised and can be supplied. But we believe that's a barrier actually to access to that particular medication. You're talking about women in the first trimester maybe not having ready access to a consultant and um, women with different abilities to pay having different access levels. Um, so that restriction to that consultant only and having to have that specific approval before the medication can be supplied through a pharmacy, we believe is a barrier and we'd like to see that looked at. We then moved on to the next Iraqis Health Committee member to speak, which was David Cullnan from Sinn Féin. David agreed that enhanced pharmacy services would benefit patient care. He also had some discussion about the medicines serious shortage protocol and this soundbite of David and Dermot from the IPU's conversation will make it clear what the pharmacy union are looking for. 
What we're looking for is that pharmacists would be empowered to make a clinical decision in their practice to switch from a particular molecule to molecule B where molecule A is not available or the product A is not available without recourse to the prescriber. And again, this can be worked through protocols that can be developed. For example... Would those protocols, for example, have guidelines that would have like a second line yeah. of a drug and a third line right. of a drug? And so it would be very highly regulated step-by-step -step guidelines would be available. So there would be lots of protections which are not in place as part of it. That's the whole logic of having a protocol. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, if you look at antibiotic prescribing, for example, there's clear guidelines from the HSE with regard to which is the first line antibiotic, second line, third line. Yeah. So we would be very much ad advocating that we would work according to the protocols um, okay. that would be set up. Obviously, David agrees that it is a very safe and robust logical process. So I call on our government to ensure timely access to medicines to the public by providing the required legislative amendments to bring in a serious shortage protocol. David also supports the call for a role of a chief pharmaceutical officer. He actually goes on to query why it hasn't happened. Sharon Foley from the IPU explains that the Minister for Health wants a strategic action plan in place first but how we actually need the officer to be in place to drive that strategic action plan. So it needs to happen now. But certainly what we would have felt with the medicine shortages recently was that there was no one single entity that had that oversight of all parts of the process and could advise the government accordingly. Okay. David then goes on to talk about the minor ailment scheme and how that is something that we should not be waiting for a national strategy for pharmacy for we can get hooked in and get that sorted now. Obviously a national strategy can take time and there's lots of elements of what could be in a national strategy but when we look at what happened during the winter and even the summer in terms of the pressures on our health service we know that GPs are under fierce pressure and anything that we can do to take pressure away from primary care from general practice uh, obviously would be important. I know you've all heard me talk about minor ailment scheme and exactly what it is over the past four or five months <laughs> nonstop. So I suppose I thought you might like someone else's take on it. And this is Susan from the Irish Pharmacy Union explaining exactly what a minor ailment scheme is. I suppose to describe what a minor ailment scheme is and just to, at the very outset, define a minor ailment, that's really just a condition that's minor in nature. It can re it'll resolve on its own, so it's self-limiting. We often say it can be reasonably diagnosed in the community pharmacy setting and it can also be managed with either advice or treatments. Um, and essentially a minor ailment scheme is where a patient would come to a community pharmacy and um, there would be an assessment of their symptoms and on foot of that assessment of symptoms you would either give well you'd always give advice and self-care advice there may be a referral or there may be a supply of treatment but if you think about it as the assessment of the symptoms and the management of the condition that's being presented to you and um, you can make an assessment this is something that community pharmacists do every day you make an assessment of those symptoms you see if this is something that is mild and self-limiting if it's not if there's any red flag symptoms then referral can happen um, but at the minute, we're restricted in pharmacy to the range of medicines that are currently available over the counter. And we're also restricted to providing that service to people who have an ability to pay. So at the minute, it's not equitable in terms of the a number of people that can access the service. Um, and also in terms of the range of medicines, there are other medicines that are currently available on prescription that do treat minor self-limiting conditions. And it would make sense to make those medications available. David goes on then to say and comment on the fact that healthcare in Ireland is not equitable at the moment like it's not fair that medical card patients have to come into the pharmacy then go back to the GP to get the medical cards 
prescription and then bring it back to the pharmacy, whereas a private patient can actually just buy an over-the-counter product. And that is, in a way, price discrimination. So I don't think that's something we should be accepting either. Obviously, today I couldn't go because I'm not a representative of my profession officially. I think many of my profession have endorsed my views and have sent me many messages of support. So I have no doubt that I am in reality representative, but I can understand that the health committee want to meet with an official union. So I am going to take this little bit of credit that you're about to hear just because I can. I just had one supplementary. I should have mentioned Sheena yeah. Mitchell, who's done a lot of work in this area as well. I know yeah. you, that you guys have engaged with her. I'm not sure she's a member of your she body, is, yes. but she has done a lot of work. I want to commend her. And yeah. uh, have you engaged with her on the pr- proposals that she yeah, has so made? Sheena will, see, will be able to tell you from the front line. So every day she's seeing patients that are coming in. She can she knows what they need to get to treat their minor condition, but she can't give it to them either because they're a patient that doesn't have the ability to pay or because it's a medication that's not currently available. <laughs> Yay, thanks for the shout out in Leinster House. My day was made. As I said, I have common goals with the IPU and I just don't have their patience to follow the correct political pathways because I think our government, well, very specifically our Minister for Health, is talking the talk, but he's not walking the walk. And I feel that I am in a better position to put pressure on our government by enabling the public to understand what pharmacies can offer and then basically highlight whether our government are willing or not to adopt those protocols and to adopt the expanded pharmacy role. It is clear that it is in the patient's best interest. So I feel that I serve the people of Ireland better by informing you of what's going on. And I will continue to do that until the pharmacy services are actually working. It's no good making empty promises to someone like me. I want action and I want it now. As a human, I just cannot accept our current health system is good enough when a reasonable solution is on the table. As I said earlier, I won't accept resistance due to ulterior political agenda. It has to be patient first. The next committee member to speak was Roisin Shorthall. Roisin was speaking to Dermot 12 years ago about the resistance that was faced when community pharmacies suggested the rollout of the flu vaccine in Ireland in community pharmacies. Roisin was commenting that she can't believe that was 12 years ago and that we may still be facing similar type resistance now, even though it's safe to say that we've long since proven ourselves. At that time also, um, I recall trying to get uh, approval for pharmacists to provide the flu vaccination. And uh, I remember being shocked at the resistance that there was to that. And again, that seemed to be like a no-brainer. But there was certainly resistance. And to a large extent, this kind of thing is very often regarded as business and losing business from other sectors. So, I mean, thankfully, you know, we are at a stage where the flu vaccination is available locally in in community pharmacies, as was obviously the the COVID vaccination, although there was also kind of delays in making that available for pharmacists and indeed publicising that, which I thought was very regrettable at the time. 
She then went on to say that she thought we may have scope to do different type of vaccinations and was there more that we could do on that front. Cathy Meyer from the IPU explained that yes, we have the skills and the legislative support to provide vaccines, but vaccines like shingles and pneumonia are not currently being supported by the Department of Health and so they won't reimburse pharmacies for it. So in practice, it's near impossible to deliver a service. Cathy made the point that all women should have access to free contraception, not just the 17 to 25 year olds that currently do and the 30 year olds that will from September. It was also pointed out that it's not just the price that's a barrier in the provision of healthcare to women. Sometimes it's about the simple access to it. Cathy pointed out that the World Health Organization provided guidance which stated that the oral contraceptive pill does not need a prescription to be accessed. Roisin very kindly then suggested that they mark International Women's Day by endorsing that request in a letter to the minister. I've posted a quote of this on my social media, Wondercare IRL. Roisin then asked about chronic medication management and if there was a possibility that pharmacists would have a role in the provision of that service. Susan from the IPU explained how allowing pharmacists to support patients more in the community in relation to things like blood pressure management, all of this can lead to better adherence and compliance to medicines and therefore better patient outcomes. Roisin also spoke about the pharmacist recruitment issues and Dermot explained the impact of Brexit. Basically, the highlights of that were that we need to make the quality of the job better to attract young pharmacists by removing old legacy systems and current bureaucracy. I have to say I completely agree with that. We also need to allow quicker access to non-EU pharmacists who fit all of the requirement criteria. Currently, they're held in limbo for up to two years where they're neither student nor professional. Apparently, the government have also committed to doubling the pharmacy places in Ireland. Dermot emphasised that this needs to happen this September. We cannot afford to face delays. On the matter of bureaucracy, any pharmacist will tell you that there is nothing more tedious than spending literal hours trying to figure out if you're going to be paid for something So it's kind of driving pharmacists towards the reaction. A prescription come in for a patient and you spend more time trying to figure out actually if it has a code or if you have to use one of the many ridiculous schemes like hardship to try and claim payment for it. Or if you then have to go and check the special pharmacy suite which shows certain patients are approved for certain items and, you know, often this needs to be consultant initiated and... The consultants don't submit the approval documentation necessarily. So then we have to chase that up. And all of the time you're doing that, your patient is standing out in the pharmacy. Like they could be post heart attack just on their way home from hospital. And this is what we are doing. It's fairly criminal when you think about it. Okay, so next up from the health committee to speak was NASA Horrigan. So she spoke a lot about the importance of accessible contraception and again how asked how the government can help with pharmacist recruitment. The Irish Pharmacy Union reiterated the importance of actioning this increase in university places. NASA also engaged in a conversation around e-health records and the lack of funding coming from the Department of Health to ensure that appropriate communication is happening between GPs, pharmacists and hospital prescribers. 
as it currently stands, many of these conversations have to happen over phone. And again, we waste 10, 20, 30 minutes waiting on hold or trying to track down a hospital doctor or the hospital pharmacist to try and get clarification on the medication because it often happens where prescriptions are written for patients and there's been a change but they haven't noticed if some items have been discontinued or the dose is questionable and not in the normal dosing range and we have suspicions that it may not be safe for that patient. There's just so many reasons that we as pharmacists trying to do our job to clinically assess the suitability and safety of the medication for the patient standing in front of us who is wary from the secondary care healthcare system and we have to hold them there while we're making ridiculous phone calls. If we were using technology to its sole purpose in being convenient, then we would have access to that information through a national cloud system immediately. And that would lead to safer practices and faster and more appropriate patient care. Susan O'Dwyer explains the importance of e-prescribing here. Um, So e-prescribing, we talk about digital transfer of prescriptions. At the minute, we have digital transfer of prescriptions, but we don't have e-prescribing. So a proper e-prescribing system, the doctor would write a prescription. That prescription is coded, so there's a code given to the patient, so there's an identifier. There's also a code for the drug, so you've got identifiers for those elements. Then that's transmitted to a national service, be that the cloud, if you want to describe it that way, but it's pushed to a national system. Then the patient can go wherever they want, so they have the choice of movement, free movement. They can go to whatever pharmacy they want to whatever time if the pharmacy that they were chose to go to initially was closed they could go to another one and then they go into that pharmacy they ask for their medication they ask for their prescription the pharmacist can pull that down it comes into their system it's coded she also asked the hse to engage the ipu in relation to the national health products catalog which would help the hse to set up e-prescribing in a quicker and faster manner the ipu are happy to help by providing this catalog so you kind of have to wonder why that hasn't happened already. Sharon Foley from the IPU explained that the HSE would have to move on this as it has to be a national central system for security reasons. We are behind countries like Estonia who already have systems like this in place. Okay, next up to speak from the committee members was Gino Kenny. He asks how pharmacists prescribe in other countries and Susan from the IPU gave examples of patient group directives which I had written to Leo Varadkar about in December last year. And she explains a little bit about what they are. Yeah, so in the Scottish model, they use a structure called patient group directions to supply the prescription-only products, and that's to a certain cohort of patients if they fulfil certain criteria. So, for example, they can give acyclovir to treat shingles, they can give fusidic acid to treat impetigo. So there's a number of different specific conditions that are prescription-only medicines but are supplied by the pharmacist of Fushman structure consultation. Gino also wanted to understand if we're actually able to prescribe anything at the minute or give any prescription-only medicines without a prescription so Susan explained all about Schedule 8 here. Uh, yeah, is there any medications you can prescribe? So at the minute situation? we talked about Schedule 8 of the medicinal products control supply regulations and that is where there are certain prescription-only products that you can supply and or administer. So that's how pharmacists deliver flu, pneumococcal, shingles, COVID vaccines, but also administer certain um, emergency medications. So naloxone if somebody has an overdose, um, if there was glucon if somebody was having a diabetic crisis, um, there's also salbutamol if somebody's having an asthma attack. So it's medicines in an emergency situation, pharmacists 
pharmacist can and do administer adrenaline if somebody's having an anaphylactic reaction. Mm. Um, so you've got that immediate kind of urgent emergency care currently being delivered in the pharmacy setting through that structure. Gino went on to say that the minor ailment scheme is an absolute no-brainer. After asking for a couple of examples on how it might work in practice, this is what he had to say. It just seems ludicrous. Uh, Yes, we would agree. (laughs) (laughs) Why have they not changed it? That is a question, I think, for the department, but um, we hope that they'll think about it and maybe uh, agree that this is something to do. Something as rudimentary as something like that. It sounds like it's a ridiculous situation where somebody has to go to a GP. When we talk about care at the lowest level of complexity at all times, this is a clear example of that. He also went on to say that he supports easily accessible contraception for women, which is the provision of the oral contraceptive pill without a prescription, which would obviously alleviate some appointments from the GP and would allow women to take more control over their own health story. He also shared frustration on something that has been very, very, very widely shared in the media. And that is the absolutely convoluted route to access of Caravan. It's clear that providing funding for something and making large media announcements that the government are going to allow Caravan access to pregnant women suffering from hyperemesis and then making the access almost impossible to actually get because you need to rely on seeing your consultant before you can get a prescription. You know, many people especially people in the public system, won't see their consultant until after their first trimester. So it's a case of we'll treat you, but no, you can absolutely go and vomit for two months or three months solid. After that, Bernard Durkin was the next member to ask the committee questions. He had some concerns that if free contraception was allowed, that maybe protests might start. And he wanted to ensure that Anything that's needed to prevent this is asked for. He was advocating for women, it's important to say, and he was advocating for them to be able to access health services safely and quickly. Cathy Marr, a community pharmacist and also from the IPU, explained that we have no issues as we have private consultation rooms since 2011. And we haven't seen that issue arrive since the rollout of the emergency hormonal contraception, which we are currently able to provide with their prescription. She also agreed that reducing barriers and promoting access to healthcare is very important in the area of women's health. Bernard also raised emphasis on the importance of easy dialogue between primary and secondary care providers, including prescribers and pharmacists. He showed empathy to pharmacists in relation to the difficulties that we face in terms of reimbursement for our services. Senator Martin Conway was next to speak. Senator Conway asked if we could help with things like cardiovascular screening. It was Susan Dwyer from the IPU who answered that question. Thank you, Deputy Susan O'Dwyer. Um, yes, uh, the short answer is yes. So pharmacists actually are already working in this space. Um, we have a num- nearly every pharmacy will take your blood pressure, but actually to do an assessment and a 24-hour blood pressure assessment, that's being done in practice. There are pharmacies that build into that detection of atrial fibrillation as part of that assessment, um, and those people then are being referred on to their GP, either to initiate therapy or to adjust their therapy if the, um, ob- if the readings are saying such. Um, so we think pharmacy is an accessible location, we have the ability to do this, we are doing it, but unfortunately it's not equitable because at the minute those particular services are only provided to people who have an ability to pay for them. Um, and if they were provided to anyone on the basis of clinical need, then that's something that would probably improve access and improve the rate of detection and hence then improve out. He also asked if we could provide the HPV vaccine. 
Twilight. What about the HPV vaccine? Is there any pharmacist providing the HPV vaccine? At the minute, you are restricted in the provision of those medications to having a prescription with a written instruction from a doctor to say, please administer this vaccine. And in that situation, it can be done. However, it's not at the same way as a flu vaccine. So if you want sure. to get a flu vaccine yeah. in pharmacy, you can just walk in, you can get it. HPV isn't included in that schedule, so we would see that as a vaccine that could definitely be added to the schedule and delivered in pharmacy. Sure, it's a no-brainer. And I suppose from your engagements earlier on, which I was observing from my office, uh, about the Chief Pharmaceutical Officer in the Department of Health, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling that that position isn't created. He also raised queries over what happens in towns where there are no GPs, as this is the case in many rural areas. We know about this, I've spoken about this before, 85% of Irish GPs are in working in urban areas and with 43% of the GPs being over 60, I can imagine this is going to become more and more of a problem in the years to come. Cathy Marr from the IPU, who has a rural pharmacy, explained that this is when pharmacy services deliver the best value and we also deliver our best efforts. This is because we are happy to engage with our patients to deliver services and our patients come in their droves. Patients trust their community pharmacy. We saw this during the pandemic. And so a town without a GP, in fact, ends up relying probably more heavily on their community pharmacy than one with them. The next committee member to speak was Maria Byrne. Maria spoke very kindly towards the pharmacy profession, and she did forward gratitude to pharmacists for remaining open throughout the pandemic and delivering healthcare to patients when there was nowhere else to go. She also agreed that there is no logic in not having a minor ailment scheme and a chief pharmaceutical officer. After that, Sean Crow, who was the chair, wanted to understand a little bit more about the serious shortage protocol and the overall proposals. This was explained to him by Dermot Toomey from the IPU. He then went on to ask why we're not moving forward when clearly there is so much need. It was Sharon Foley from the IPU who answered this question. When you look at other countries like Canada, <coughs> Scotland and Wales, they're on a journey. Some of their expansion and development have happened over the last 20, 30 years. So change happens slowly. Um, and at this stage now, as I said earlier, we are so far behind that we need to try and speed that up. And certainly there's a huge role for this committee in asking the right questions and keeping that, that uh, pressure on and that attention and keep naming the need for a national pharmaceutical strategy and development and some of the ideas that we've shown there. There always will be some levels of resistance because the health system, health, health systems in general resist change and when things are different and when I suppose it's a thing around power and, and where things move and everything. But other countries have shown that it can be done and it certainly benefits the citizens of that country so it should be done. For myself, I don't accept that resistance to change is acceptable and I don't accept delays. We're not children. There is no logical reason for delays or resistance. So if our progress is blocked, one would have to ask what is driving government decisions if it's not patient care? Dermot from the IPU was then asked what we need. He explains the will is there from the pharmacists. So at this stage, we just need the action. 
It's been an internationally that every time pharmacy has been involved in a new service, it's been an, a, a roaring success. Um, this has been proven with vaccination. It's been proven with, with any of the other services we've provided. It's just getting getting out of the start blocks is the key point. Um, and as I say, the community pharmacy sector is willing and able and very much wanting to get out of the start blocks. After that, during the summary conclusions, Colin Burke asked where we go from here. Concern about is that you know we've got a very good presentation here this morning, and I would hate that it would be lost with just a presentation and questions. And I think what we should do as a committee is formally write to the Department of Health, looking for some answers to those questions, and also you know um, that I'm not sure whether we. Uh, the next time the Department of Health and HSE are in, that we would certainly have a time set aside to deal with this particular part of the issue as well. So I'm not sure what way we could do this now, but I do believe that we need to follow this meeting up with some something constructive from the committee. I mean, the proposals here this morning have been very constructive. It's about improving healthcare, and it's about we now, as a committee, trying to get the Department of Health to move on that and that's basically what I'm looking for that we, we would actually do a follow up on this. I love that the Health Committee genuinely do want to help to make proposals a reality. We just need urgency. <laughs> we need to take steps and action. Why is it so hard when everyone agrees what we need to do? Is there no one that can just get things done? See this is why I'm not on a committee. Just do it. Stop talking. We have done that for years. It is time for action. That is not a dig at Colin Burke, by the way. I'm just frustrated for the people of Ireland that it is this hard to drive positive change. This shows exactly why we need a chief pharmaceutical officer. Is it this hard to get a simple, easy, good idea across to the Minister for Health for action? Do we have to beg a thousand different times in a thousand different ways to try and actually make a difference to our patient's life. This is ridiculous. We are a voice that are not being heard. We need representation at a very senior level, just like a chief medical officer. We need a chief pharmaceutical officer. Otherwise, primary care is going to continue to suffer because there is only so much we can bang our heads off the door of Leicester House. This is no way to run a country. And this is a ridiculous expectation of what it is like to do good for the people of Ireland. It should not be so hard to make change. I do not accept that it is this hard to make change. Good Lord. Right. After that little rant, we hear from Sean Crow, who provides a little bit of a summary and I suppose gives the outcome of the meeting, the action points. I'll let you hear. Uh, we've passed the motion there in relation to the oral contraceptives, but also update in relation to the minor illness scheme and try and find out about that. We'll also try and find out how the minister... A responsible in relation to pharmacy student places. Again, that was one of the, the issues that was raised with, with members. The idea of the possible pres prescribing rights, and we, maybe we can get an update in relation to that. I think it's important if 
we certainly, when the next opportunity that we get, when we're bringing the minister in, we will try and, uh, get, you know, maybe get some 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 sort of answers in relation to it. But we will attempt to try and get some sort of written replies in in the meantime. It is very difficult to know whether we should be optimistic or not. The ironic part of all of this is last Friday I spoke to Pat Kenny on News Talk. I was in studio and I ran through the whole of my proposals and explained that they were in line with the IPUs, but that I just became completely impatient of the, I suppose, bureaucratic processes and that I was just calling for people to actually help me drive this change, for the public to help me drive this change, for the media to help me drive this change. Anyway, Pat got it, okay? He's a clever man. I explained what I was talking about and he understood straight away. Fast forward to today, this meeting is going on, right, in Leinster House. The Irish Pharmacy Union are there, knocking their heads off the wall again, explaining to, to be fair, a very positive and helpful health committee. I am absolutely delighted with all the comments they made. They clearly see the good in what we're doing. But you can even hear the defeatist attitudes in their voices when they're like, yeah, we'll try and get the minister to write you a letter. We'll try and get him to listen to us when we next get him in. It's all a bit desperate, really. And in the meanwhile, <laughs> Minister Stephen Donnelly is on the Pat Kenny show. And he's trying to put out fires in relation to the consultant contracts. And, you know, that's what the conversation was about. And at the end, Pat asked him, what about the pharmacists? I had this pharmacist in here last week and she said this, that and the other. I am excited to let you hear what Minister Donnelly said. Here it is. And the range of services available at pharmacies be expanded. We had a pharmacist on during the week saying we are the poor relation as far as the Department of Health is concerned. There's so much more we could do. Ease the pressure on GPs. You know, if someone is, needs to go to a GP, the pharmacist will surely tell them. But oftentimes, for example, if someone has to get an over-the-counter prescription or medicine on the GMS, they have to go to their doctor, get the doctor to sign off on something that if you have the money, you can buy it over the counter without any prescription. Not for long. Not for long. They are so right. We we significantly underutilize our pharmacies. Our pharmacists are so well trained. They're such highly skilled professionals. And we only tap into a fraction of what they're capable of. So as you've just said, someone on a GMS, uh, 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 someone with a medical card, in order to get the over-the-counter medicine for free, has to go and talk to a GP. That's a yeah. waste of their time. It's a waste of the GP's time when they should just be able to go into the pharmacist, just like anyone. So that's going to come. That's going to come. Um, we're looking at a minor ailment scheme as well. We're looking at um, prescribing for pharmacists. In fact, the RCSI students now are the first students who are going to graduate as pharmacists who've been trained in prescribing. It's something the NHS already does. I want to see that rolled out um, much more broadly. Our, our, as, you, as you and I have talked about before, Pat, we're in the middle of a fundamental reform of our healthcare service where we are shifting as much care as possible into the community. Enhanced community care, chronic disease management, um, much more investment in general practice, much more investment in pharmacies. We need all of our healthcare professionals working to the, to the extent of their license and their ability. And the pharmacists who say that are, I, I fully agree, uh, I'm aware of it, and we're, we, are, we are moving in, in the right direction. Now, not great. Problem solved. Open the champagne. Job done. No. Minister, we have heard 
you talk the talk before. You've sat at the table with the Irish Pharmacy Union and told them, absolutely, great, all sounds lovely, and nothing happens. I don't accept that you can say publicly, oh, yep, that's on the way, when you haven't engaged with the one group that you need to engage with to make this happen. Like, what? You can't say, oh, yeah, that's happening. You might want to tell the Irish Pharmacy Union if in your head this is happening. Because can I tell you, Minister, the reality is it's still not happening. You're lying. (laughs) So either fix that lie and make it happen or stop pushing political agenda to try and appease people like me who are actually trying to drive real change for the people of Ireland who are actually trying to drive better healthcare into our communities because we all know what's going to happen next winter. It's going to be a disaster and every single winter it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. We're going to have less GPs. Why can we not get organised? Honestly, it can't be that hard to run a country. I'm just saying you're being handed the solutions. Just do them.